Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Lawmakers in Florida are taking steps to strip Disney of its special privileges. The state Senate passed a bill that would get rid of Disney's self-governing status. Two federal prosecutors say they're considering a takeover of New York City's Department of Correction. That's because of violence and deaths in New York City jails. Actor Johnny Depp gave graphic details during his second day of testimony in his defamation lawsuit against his ex-wife, Amber Heard. Realized that the, the, the tip of my finger had been severed. The White House hopes to revive U.S. nuclear power production with a $6 billion bailout. This as America's foreign adversaries are taking the lead in nuclear power. So why is the U.S. lagging behind? A Ukrainian official says that the Russian military hasn't made much ground in their new offensive. And Russian President Vladimir Putin praises the country's new military asset. Florida is one step closer to getting rid of the Disney Corporation's special privileges in the state. The Florida Senate approved a bill today that would end Disney's self-governing status. NTD's Allison Lee has more. 23 yeays, 16 nays, Mr. President. So the bill passes. The Florida Senate passed a bill 23 to 16 on Wednesday aimed at eliminating Disney's special tax district by June of next year. Since 1967, Disney has been self-governing its theme park area in what's known as the Reedy Creek Improvement District. The company has been allowed to collect taxes and build new structures without approval. It's also exempt from certain regulations and taxes. Remember, the districts that are affected have not had any legislative oversight in over 50 years. And some of the districts have incredibly sweeping powers such that a single company could start construction on a nuclear reactor. This comes after Disney openly opposed Florida's parental rights law, limiting classroom discussions on sexuality. Democrats accused Governor Ron DeSantis and Republicans of bullying Disney for disagreeing with them on the law. The Disney Corporation is being attacked for expressing support for its many LGBTQ employees and customers. I don't know what happened to all of you to the Republican Party in general with respect to allowing private businesses to run themselves. The bill now goes to the Florida House for consideration. DeSantis has expressed support for the bill. Reporting by Allison Lee. Federal prosecutors are considering a takeover of New York City's Department of Correction. That's after allegations of inhumane conditions in some city jails like Rikers Island. NTD's Ariane Pazdar has more. Two federal prosecutors say they are shocked by the violence they see in New York City jails. They sent a letter to a federal judge talking about a possible takeover of New York City's Department of Correction by an independent agency if conditions don't improve. At least 16 inmates died in Rikers Island alone in 2021. They say if New York City Hall doesn't do more to change the situation, they'll be left with no other option but to seek more aggressive relief. It's a little premature to uh, suggest that they're going to take it over at this stage. Mark Ruskin is a former assistant district attorney for Brooklyn, FBI agent and author of The Pretender. He says next week a conference will be held where progress regarding fixing New York City jails will be discussed. He says the mayor and the Department of Correction Commissioner were not present at the last conference. So the two federal prosecutors are using the letter to build pressure. And now they're trying to make sure that there is representation from the mayor's office and that the Commission of Corrections do, does attend the conference so that serious progress can be made in terms of, in, of instituting reforms at the prison. He added that he thinks the mayor actually wants to see change in New York City's prisons. In all fairness to the mayor, He's only been in office for a couple of months, so he hasn't, you know, I would suggest that he really hasn't had uh, the time or the opportunity to really acquaint himself with the situation. Talks about reforming or closing Rikers Island have been going on for almost a decade now. Many complain that no progress is being made. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. 
The former warden at the New York City prison where Jeffrey Epstein killed himself has retired. His retirement came during a federal investigation into the questionable circumstances of Epstein's death. Lamine Nadeye retired from the Bureau of Prisons in February. No announcement was made at the time. After Epstein's suicide, he became warden of a low-security prison in New Jersey in February 2021. That contradicted the Bureau of Prisons' earlier statements, saying he wouldn't run any prison before the investigation by the Justice Department's Inspector General was finished. In an email response to NTD, the Bureau of Prisons said they do not discuss specific reasons about personnel decisions and they do not comment on pending litigation or matters subject to legal proceedings. A federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. today indicted two men accused of impersonating federal agents. Prosecutors say the two men had tricked actual Secret Service officers and given them free luxury apartments. The two men are Arian Tazerheide and Haider Ali. Prosecutors say they gave away free apartments in an effort to ingratiate themselves and integrate with actual law enforcement agents, including an agent assigned to protect the First Lady. The case was thrust into the public spotlight earlier this month when FBI agents raided a luxury apartment building in D.C. The FBI found that the two men had several firearms, surveillance equipment, a high-power telescope, and evidence that they may have been creating surveillance devices. The lawyers of one of the defendants says her client had no intention of compromising the agents. Johnny Depp took the stand for the second day in his defamation lawsuit against his ex-wife. The actor gave graphic details of Amber Heard's alleged abuses. Please note, some of the following footage is graphic and may disturb you. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. This is not life. No one should have to go through this. Depp described many arguments he had with Amber Heard, including one over a tattoo he had of his ex that read, Winona forever. I, I took off the last two letters um, and had it say, Wino forever. He said Amber Heard didn't see the humor in it. Depp later got a tattoo in Amber Heard's honor and said after that, the arguments got worse. He alleged Heard threw a vodka bottle at him, which smashed against his finger that was resting on the edge of a counter. I looked down and realized that the, the, the tip of my finger had been severed in the middle of some sort of nervous breakdown. I started to write with my blood, in my own blood, on the, on the walls. Um, little reminders from our past that essentially represented lies that she had told me and lies that I had caught her in. Depp also claimed that Heard put a cigarette out on his face and the mark is seen here above the green dot and she punched him about a week or two after that. Heard's counterclaim, where she is seeking $100 million in damages, will be decided as part of the trial. Jason Perry, NTD News. During the 2020 elections, young voters came out in record numbers, helping to boost votes for President Joe Biden. But according to a recent poll, now only 21% of voters between the ages of 18 and 34 approve of the way the president is handling his job. NTD's Arlene Richards asked a political analyst what went wrong. Millennials and Gen Zers have been called many things, such as self-absorbed and generally lazy. But since the 2020 elections, they seem to have taken more of an interest in what goes on in this country, and they're not too happy. In a recent Quinnipiac University national poll, 58% of young people said they disapproved of the Biden administration. NTD asked political analyst Adrian Norman why. I think part of the reason the president did so well with that demographic prior to the election was that, you know, he campaigned on sort of this, this utopian dream that they were going to be able to usher in. And none of that's materializing right now. What young people are facing right now when we look at the demographic of 18 to 34-year-olds, they're being crushed with mountains of student loan debt. You know, they're told that they need to go to university in order to become successful. He said before the election, young people were concerned about climate issues. Now, the only thing that's been done so far in relation to the climate 
is we've seen restrictions that have been placed on United States energy production that have resulted in hyperinflation, which we're starting to feel, you know, massive pain now um, from everything from not just at the pump, but we're seeing food prices skyrocket. We're seeing uh, items all across the board, you know, hit double-digit inflation. He said not only young voters, but many others are feeling a pinch in their pocketbook that is almost insurmountable. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Some U.S. nuclear plants are on the brink of closing their doors, and the White House wants to keep them running to achieve their emission reduction goals. Now the administration is launching a billion-dollar program to rescue these plants. NTD's Melina Weiskup has more. Nuclear power plants produce energy with low carbon emissions. The U.S. currently has around 55 nuclear power plants, which contribute to more than half of our carbon-free electricity. But many of these plants are closing their doors. Twelve reactors have shuttered since 2013 in the face of competition from other less costly energy sources. But there are also political reasons for their closures because they've put so many policies in place that have uh, really discriminated against the production of new nuclear technology here in this country. This puts the U.S. in a weak position in the face of foreign adversaries. Russia and China dominate the emerging global nuclear energy market. They're ramping up their own production and investing in third world countries that are developing nuclear energy. And nuclear power plants are fueled by uranium. The U.S. could boost domestic uranium production but hasn't been able to because of pushback from environmental groups. We have, for example, in southern Virginia, we have the largest untapped uranium deposit in the country and one of the largest, perhaps the largest, such deposit in the world. And yet environmental activists stepped up to protest, to refuse to allow this to be developed, and it got shut down. We're going to need uranium. We're going to need to develop it at home. So we're not dependent upon China and Russia. Russia right now uh, provides more than any other nation and more than America itself for our nuclear power plants. As a step toward reviving nuclear energy production in the U.S., the Biden administration is dedicating $6 billion from the recently signed infrastructure law to help keep nuclear power plants operating. Uh, prices for energy across the board are rising, and I think that there are folks in the White House that understand that if we are still to pressure nuclear power plants to close here, the prices are going to go up even higher. And aside from this federal program to help keep these nuclear plants running, the Biden administration is also proposing tax credits for nuclear production. But this proposal is right now stalled in Congress in that Build Back Better bill. But the White House is now working on negotiations to revive at least pieces of the stalled Biden agenda. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Russian forces have increased attacks in eastern Ukraine as they try to take over the Donbass region. But a Ukrainian official says the Russian forces have yet to make any significant ground. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. An advisor to the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said the port city of Mariupol was holding up against the offensive by the Russian military. They have focused their army on that location and are trying to advance, but could not achieve their goal. It is already the third day of the announced terrible advance. He said Russian forces are suffering many losses, and he added a word to the 120,000 people who remain in the war-torn city. Today there are humanitarian corridors announced from Mariupol. I want to urge everyone who can listen to use those corridors to the maximum possibility. Tamara, who is 64, said she was leaving the city with her husband, daughter, son-in-law and grandson to live with her sister in central Ukraine. We need a break after the shelling, after all this nightmare. We've been hiding in basements for 30 days. Meanwhile, the Russian Defense Ministry on Wednesday reported a successful launch of the Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missile. It will have no equivalence in the world for a long time. This truly unique weapon will enhance the military potential of our armed forces. Putin also said this will make those who threaten Russia think twice. Jason Perry, NTD News. Breaking a long, silent streak, the U.S. and China held their first top-level military talks today since President Biden took office. This as tensions grow between the two countries amid the war in Ukraine. NTD's Iris Tao has more. 
Breaking a communication stalemate, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin spoke with his Chinese counterpart, General Wei Fenghe. It's the first high-level discussion between the two militaries since President Biden took office. The Pentagon says the Wednesday call is a follow-up to the conversation between Biden and China's Xi Jinping in March. Uh, he also uh, conveyed uh, and, and described the implications and consequences if China provides material support to Russia. It also comes amid concerns over Beijing's partnership with Russia and its continued threats against Taiwan. We all understand the challenges that we face in the Indo-Pacific. The People's Republic of China is seeking to refashion the region and the international system more broadly. Austin has called out Beijing for its regional threats. The Pentagon said Austin and his counterpart talked about U.S.-China defense relations, regional security issues, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that's adding to the agency's Tuesday remarks on Beijing. The, the Chinese continued to try to bully and intimidate uh, their way uh, into pursuing their own selfish national security interests at the expense of, uh, of uh, populations all around the world. Meanwhile, President Biden met with Austin and other top military officials later on Wednesday. The annual White House gathering takes on special significance as tensions mount between U.S. and China and as the U.S. plans to give more military aid to Ukraine. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. As widespread war and nuclear war teeters on the edge of possibility in Europe, we turn our attention to another brewing threat. North Korea over the weekend claimed that it successfully test-fired a new type of missile, one that it said can carry nuclear warheads. Some are speculating that the country might soon experiment with nuclear missiles. And as it turns out, China may be helping North Korea to increase its missile capabilities. I spoke with foreign policy expert Harley Lippmann to learn more. We're delighted to have with us now Harley Lippmann, foreign policy expert. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And some say that China has helped advance North Korea's missile program over a number of years by providing them with certain capabilities. And that includes large trucks to transport missiles, warhead design, and missile components. What's your take on this? The United States has for a long time tried to appeal to China, which is the one country that could influence North Korea. To try to appeal to North Korea um, because we wanted North Korea to scale back their nuclear weapons program. But the truth is, the sad truth, is that China has really no interest in doing it because they, like Russia, want to bring us down. Whether they bring us down a peg or they bring us down completely is debatable. So what has changed with North Korea is quite interesting. So North Korea recently fired a test uh, on an ICBM which is a missile that's capable of reaching the United States. So that's very significant. But what this is really all about is that the new government in South Korea, the democratically elected government, is um, taking a hard line against North Korea and China, particularly North Korea, where the previous president was very sympathetic with North Korea, very amenable, wanted to work with them. And so because there's this, this new president is taking a harder line. North Korea sent that um, nuclear test as a warning to South Korea and the United States, don't you dare. And how does the U.S. play into this? What should they be doing and what are they doing? Well, it's very difficult, as you can see with Ukraine, as you can see with Iran. The United States has multiple challenges around the world. And I think at the end of the day, if we've learned anything, it's this. Appeasement does not work. Dictators don't stop until they're forced to stop. We have to be firm and we need strong leadership for that. So that's going to be the best hope for peace in the world. And is sanctions the best route or? Yes. A lot of people question sanctions that it's not working. It is working. It's because Americans like a quick fix and they want to see results right away. But it is depriving them of badly needed revenue. It is distracting them from their military adventures. Sanctions do work. It takes time, but at some point, regimes cannot sustain supporting huge militaries or supporting proxies like Iran in the Middle East. They can't afford it. Harley Lippmann, thank you. Thank you. 
Coming up, the Big Apple seems to have big plans for the cannabis industry. We'll hear today's announcement from the mayor. And the NFL's biggest star returned to Tampa Bay, but was he ever headed to Miami? Inside the alleged plot to make Brady a dolphin. That and more coming up on NTD News. Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guy. Today's decisions mean for your tomorrow. We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. New York City Mayor Eric Adams today announced new steps to welcome the cannabis industry to New York City, putting an emphasis on promoting equity. NTD's Chenny Wu gives us the details. On Wednesday, New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced his plan to spend $4.8 million to assist people from minority communities to become marijuana entrepreneurs. Adams said in a release, the cannabis industry could be a major boon to our economic recovery, creating new jobs, building wealth in historically underserved communities, and increasing state and local tax revenue. The announcement comes on April 20th, also known as 420, the date known for celebrating marijuana. A key theme in marijuana legalization in recent years has been so-called social equity. That includes the state's new goal of awarding half of marijuana licenses to individuals from communities most affected by marijuana-related offenses and expunging some past marijuana convictions. However, critics often cite that easier access to the drug could have negative impacts, such as increased drug abuse, use by minors, and marijuana-related medical emergencies. Chenny Wu, NTD News. A 95-year-old veteran died from a shot fired from a gun he had brought home from World War II. The man reportedly had the weapon in his bedroom in Brooklyn where the incident took place. Sources told the New York Post the veteran committed suicide with a pistol after an argument with his wife. We reached out to the NYPD to confirm the story but didn't hear back before broadcast. The gun and two shell casings were reportedly recovered at the scene. The man was not known to suffer from any mental illness, according to sources. If you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Available 24-7. And in sports, tennis players from Russia and Belarus will not be allowed to play in Wimbledon this year due to the war in Ukraine. The announcement from the All England Clubs affects several big names on both the men's and women's side. Medvedev is among two top ten players that will be barred from competition, while two-time Grand Slam champion Victoria Azarenka is among the affected players on the women's side. Meanwhile, one of Russia's former tennis greats, Maria Sharapova, announced her pregnancy on Instagram. The 35-year-old posted a picture of her baby bump with the caption, eating birthday cake for two has always been my specialty. Sharapova retired in 2020, ending a stellar career that included five Grand Slam titles. The NBA playoffs continue tonight with one of the more anticipated battles, Boston versus Brooklyn, set to tip first at part of a triple, triple header. NTD's Dave Martin has more. Kyrie Irving was fantastic in Game 1 as a star guard scored 39 points on just 20 shots while having a contentious relationship with the Boston crowd. The former Celtic, who found himself in several controversies during his time in Boston, was fined $50,000 by the NBA for making obscene gestures towards the fans. The crowd had the last laugh, though, as Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating layup won Game 1. The Sixers and Raptors follow with Game 3 of their series. This one will be played north of the border, though, meaning unvaccinated reserve guard Matisse Thibel won't be suiting up. While Philly is up 2-0, former MVP James Harden has struggled, shooting just 35% over the first two games. 
Meanwhile, Toronto star rookie Scotty Barnes is listed as doubtful with an ankle injury. And in the nightcap, Chicago looks to even their series against the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. The Bulls struggled from the floor in the opener, hitting just 32% of their shots, as all-star DeMar DeRozan went just 6 of 25 from the floor. Meanwhile, two-time MVP Giannis Adetokounmpo led the way with 27 points and 16 rebounds. In other NBA news, Suns guard Devin Booker is likely out for games 3 and 4 against the Pelicans with a hamstring strain. Dave Martin, NTD News. Tampa Bay Buccaneers general manager Jason Light said Tuesday he hasn't had any discussions with quarterback Tom Brady regarding recent reports which allege Brady had previously been prepared to join the Miami Dolphins before coming out of retirement. NTD's Dave Martin has more. Citing a league source, the Boston Globe reported that prior to former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores' lawsuit against Miami at the beginning of February, Brady was allegedly planning to finagle his way to the Dolphins as a minority owner, with former Saints head coach Sean Payton set to join him. Although Brady would still be under contract as a player with Tampa Bay for the 2022 season, there would be nothing to stop him from being an executive elsewhere. The alleged plan was then to wait for the Bucks to move on and find a new quarterback and then have Miami approach Tampa Bay about trade compensation to allow Brady to unretire. The alleged plan was blown up by Flores' lawsuit, though, as hiring a white coach and team president without truly going through the Rooney Rule, which requires teams to interview minority candidates, would be looked on poorly once Flores sued Miami for racial discrimination. Pro Football Talk had also reported the alleged plan and said the Dolphins declined on-the-record comments. Payton resigned back on January 25, but didn't really close the door on a return at the time. He was asked Tuesday about the alleged plan and said he had no clue about the rumor. By rule, the Dolphins would have also had to provide New Orleans compensation for hiring him. Dave Martin, NTD News. Coming up, Californians gathered in the state capitol to protest what has been called the infanticide bill. More than 1,000 people gathered to protest the bill, which would decriminalize babies dying in certain circumstances after birth. And a man was sentenced to a total of nearly 200 years in prison for a murder in a wealthy Southern California neighborhood. We'll look at what he was charged for after the break. Over to the West Coast, more than a thousand people gathered on the steps of the California State Capitol to speak out against a controversial bill, often labeled the Infanticide Bill. Some lawmakers say the bill would decriminalize pregnancy loss after birth. But rallygoers say the current wording could legalize the killing of newborn babies. Over 1,000 people gathered on the steps of the California Capitol building on Tuesday morning to lobby against Assembly Bill 2223, dubbed the Infanticide Bill. This bill's overbroad restrictions will chill reporting of child abuse and child murder, and it prevents investigations. The evil absurdity of this cannot be overstated. It is only after an investigation that we can even determine if a death was pregnancy-related. Speakers warned of how the bill would legalize infanticide to the crowd, which was over double what organizers expected. Members of the California Family Council, the Children's Health Defense, and the Faith Community joined the People's Convoy in opposition to the bill. The truckers arrived a day earlier to protest a list of vax mandate bills. I saw a sign over here that had the health and safety code written on it, and that code specifically says perinatal death is up to 30 days after. And they amended it to say for pregnancy-related causes, but that could be anything. The rally was in response to State Assemblywoman Buffy Wick's bill. She introduced the bill in February and says it is meant to prevent pregnant women from being prosecuted for terminating their pregnancy or losing their baby. During an April 5th Judiciary Committee meeting, Wicks cited two women who were prosecuted for having stillbirths. 
Prosecutors in this state have charged people with homicide offenses for pregnancy loss. Two examples are the cases of Chelsea Becker and Adora Perez, two California women who were recently prosecuted and imprisoned for their stillbirths. An investigation found that Becker and Perez both experienced stillbirths because of using methamphetamine during their pregnancies. According to AB 2223, a mother or healthcare provider's actions or omissions cannot be held responsible for miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death of a baby. But perinatal is not precisely defined in the bill. The amendment actually made it worse because what we have now is some undisclosed period of time that when the baby is born, that child can be killed, murdered, somehow die. It will not be investigated, as the fine attorney pointed out. Hibbs said Wicks's bill might be coming from good intentions, but the bill is morally wrong. Speakers and organizers encouraged attendees to be polite in sharing their grievances with AB 2223 at the 4 p.m. Assembly Health Committee hearing. Cynthia Kai, NTD News, California. A two-time convict who fatally shot the wife of a music legend was sentenced to three life terms. He received 150 years in jail and 40 more years for weapons violations. The killing happened during a robbery of the couple's home in a wealthy Southern California neighborhood. Ariel Maynard, 30, of Los Angeles, pleaded guilty in March to killing 81-year-old Jacqueline Avant, Clarence Avant's wife. She was shot in the back on December 1st during a brazen burglary at the couple's home in Beverly Hills. On Wednesday, Maynard was sentenced to 150 years to life in prison. That's about three life terms. Maynard also admitted to shooting at a security guard who was not wounded while trying to flee the scene. He pleaded guilty to one count each of murder, attempted murder, and being a felon in possession of a firearm, and two counts of residential burglary with a person present. He also admitted allegations of using an assault long barrel pistol during the crimes, along with admitting prior robbery convictions from 2013 to 2018. Recent inflation and the COVID-19 pandemic have together spurred more Southern Californians to start gardening. That's according to local experts. Volunteers of different ages came together for some good old garden work. About 30 gardening enthusiasts and volunteers came out to Burbank's first community garden site on April 16th. Volunteers at the Burbank Community Gardens were surprised this month after seeing a surge of interest in their community gardens. Around 150 people and organizations applied for a few open spots at two new gardens. Locals have said that a huge surge of people wanted to grow their own veggies, seeing it first at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. One expert gardener told the Epic Times, I think so many people have been at home and reconnecting on a level they never did before. I do believe there's been a huge shift toward growing your own food and growing native plants, being better hosts to our native ecology, and being a part of it instead of separate. The land is reportedly owned by Los Angeles Water and Power and leased back to the city of Burbank for the garden. All food grown at the site will be organic and they expect to grow food all year, including tomatoes, zucchini, peppers, cucumbers, snap peas, lettuces, and other vegetables. PFAS are man-made chemicals that have been used in consumer products like cosmetics and fast food wrappers since 1940. But there has been a recent surge in lawsuits from consumers concerned about their health who are suing major manufacturers over their failure to mention PFAS on their labels. PFAS have been linked to several illnesses such as cancer and hypertension. In past years, consumers who had actually gotten sick from using products linked like nonstick cookware or drinking PFAS contaminated water sued for their injuries. But in this new wave of more than a dozen lawsuits across the country, complaints are seeking economic damages. Consumers are claiming that they paid a premium for what they believe to be healthy or clean products, but were misled by the label. In October, the Biden administration launched a PFAS strategic roadmap to look more closely at PFAS, which the CDC found may reduce the effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine. And Netflix shares are down 35% today, wiping $50 billion off the value of the company. 
That's after the company's quarterly earnings showed it lost subscribers first time in over a decade. It says people who signed up during lockdowns are now dropping off. That's also blaming increased competition and password sharing. Are you responsible for Netflix stock tanking? The company's CEO has a warning for you. When we were growing fast, it wasn't the high priority to uh, work on. And now we're working super hard on it. And, you know, remember, these are over 100 million households that already are choosing to view Netflix. They love the service. Uh, we just got to get paid. The 100 million he's talking about is the estimated number of households worldwide who are using a shared password. Lost potential revenue for Netflix. But how will you break the news to your wife's friend's brother who's been sharing your account? Netflix is also considering a low-price version of its service that'll force you to watch ads. Is it a hassle to find your wallet and phone every time you want to pay? How about implanting your credit card chip into your hand? Convenient, but one cybersecurity expert says he's terrified. NTD's Evelyn Lee has more. Cyborgs are real, and many of them have microchips implanted, a controversial practice. WalletMore just made that tech more accessible. It created a payment microchip that can be implanted in your hand. Is it safe? Yeah, our implants are definitely 100% safe, both from a biosecurity perspective and also from a cybersecurity perspective. WalletMore says its implants are certified by the FDA and also passed restrictive tests from labs all over the world. Stephen Northam is the founder of Biotech. His company focuses on chips that help disabled people. But he says contactless payment could be a tipping point. The general public will start to jump on this type of tech as well. And that's a worry to some. I, I totally understand the marketability of it. I'm absolutely terrified of the security ramifications of it. Kareem Hijazi is a former contractor for the U.S. intelligence community and CEO of a cyber intelligence company. Opinions are very much divided. Despite what the press say about Bill Gates, COVID vaccines, this sort of wild speculation, Microchip implants are by choice by individuals. You want to have a chip implanted, you can. If you don't, you don't have to have one implanted. It's that simple. What if the optionality goes away? Now, have you built this, and I don't know that there's a way to do that, to be perfectly honest, to make this secure enough that if it is indeed mandated by some group, and by the way, all it takes is a catastrophic event or some compelling reason to mandate something. Currently, WalletMore's chips are only sold in the EU and UK. In a survey last year, 51% out of 4,000 surveyed said they would consider an implant. But safety concerns were still an issue for some of them. I have to believe that the whole point of the chip is so that it can emit some kind of information out from the individual to something, whether it be a reader or some sort of capturing utility. He compares it to a hotel room key. If you get close enough, you will unlock it. But WalletMore CEO says that all your data will be stored on the cloud and the chip is only the key. He says you could always delete the chip from your profile, like deleting a card from your bank account. Currently, a WalletMore implant costs $300, but Paproda says he wants to bring it down to $50. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. Some internal conflict happening over at food delivery giant Grubhub. Its parent company is trying to offload it just one year after buying it for $7 billion. NTD's Phil Zhou has more on that. The Grubhub delivery app may be getting sold again. Its parent company, Just Eat Takeaway, based out of Europe, bought Grubhub just a year ago to beef up its operations in the U.S. But now, under pressure from investors, the two may have to part ways. Grubhub has especially been challenged over the past couple of years. Trevor Boomstra is an authority in restaurant practice, helping businesses improve profits and performance in over 20 countries. He's a director at Alex Partners, the global consulting firm. People are more price sensitive to spend, and now with the rates of COVID going down, people are wanting to go back into dining in the restaurants. Grubhub used to dominate the food delivery space, but in recent years has lost market share to fierce competitors. DoorDash and Uber Eats have been uh, increasingly successful in gaining market share. And they've done that through um, expanding to different categories outside of traditional restaurants, in working with more chain restaurants and getting exclusivity agreements. Just Eat Takeaway reported a 5% loss in takeout orders for Q1 in North America. Shares of the company jumped around 7% on the news it might sell Grubhub before simmering back down halfway. 
trading for $5.73 a share. Phil Zoe, NTD News. And some breaking news. The Department of Justice has confirmed that it will appeal a federal judge's decision to strike down the CDC's transportation mask mandate. And coming up, a German national living under Shanghai's lockdown says China's system, quote, sucks. He says children in kindergarten are more organized. And as the French presidential candidates battle it out on live TV, one issue that is on both of their agendas is woke culture and its rise in France. That and more after this short break. At The Nation Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go. Our viewers come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. Foreigner living under China's lockdowns says the country's pandemic prevention system is broken. He's being forced to go to a quarantine camp almost two weeks after testing positive. NTD's Don Ma has the story. A German national living under Shanghai's lockdown says China's system, quote, sucks. He said it over a phone call with Chinese authorities. They left us here for 12 days, then they decided to take us. Then they send us back home after leaving us there in the cold for five hours. This is f***ing ridiculous. This is insane. Here's some context for what's going on. The German national tested positive for the virus on April 3rd. Then almost two weeks later, he gets transferred to a quarantine camp. Now keep in mind that in two weeks, most people would have already recovered. So he gets sent to the quarantine camp, but for some reason, authorities reject him. So he gets sent back home. And now, Shanghai authorities want to take him to the camp again. So he's refusing to go until he's retested. And get your boss, tell him I tell him he sucks, tell him the system sucks, tell him to send the CDC officer here and take a new test with me. Like they and then we can talk. Your system is the most ridiculous that I've ever experienced in my entire life. My children at kindergarten are more organized than this crap here. It seems like he's not the only one experiencing this. He said in the phone recording that he knows of others that also went through the same thing. They leave us here with eight people, corona positive, for f***ing 15 days. We're all fine, and then they decide to take us? What sort of ridiculous rule is that? That's ridiculous. There is no logic to this. The recording of the call has since gone viral on Chinese social media platforms. The full recording of the call has also been posted on YouTube and Twitter. Don Ma, NTD News. Britain's health secretary said gender identity services for children and young people provided by the UK's healthcare system are bordering on ideological and must not be a one-way street. An independent review into these services found the doctors felt under pressure to adopt an unquestioning approach to children seeking to change their gender. NTD's Joy Duguid has more. Health Secretary Sajid Javid was asked in the House of Commons about concerns over how best to respond to gender dysphoria. The NHS describes gender dysphoria as a sense of unease a person may have because of a perceived mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity. Conservative MP James Sunderland said an interim report as part of an independent review into gender identity services found there is a profound lack of evidence on the best approach to treat gender dysphoria in children. Does my right honourable friend share my concern that in spite of this, the NHS insists on making a child's express gender identity the start point for treatment, and also my surprise that the NHS has chosen so far not to track patient outcomes, particularly for under-18s. The Health Secretary said he shares Sunderland's concerns and that's why the NHS commissioned the independent review led by paediatrician Dr Hilary Cass. 
of our top paediatricians. It is already clear to me from her interim findings and for the evidence, uh, other evidence that I've seen, that the NHS services in this area are too narrow. They are overly affirmative and, that, in fact, they are bordering on ideological. And that is why, in this uh, emerging area, of course, we need to be absolutely sensitive, but we need to make sure that there is holistic care that's provided, that there's not a one-way street, and that all medical interventions are based on the best clinical evidence. The CAS review found that primary and secondary staff said they feel under pressure to adopt an unquestioning affirmative approach and that this is at odds with the standard process of clinical assessment and diagnosis that they have been trained to undertake in all other clinical encounters. The review also found that many professionals working at primary and secondary level feel they have the transferable skills and the commitment to offer more robust support to this group of children and young people, but are nervous about doing so, partly because of the lack of formal clinical guidance and partly due to the broader societal context. Joy Dugid, NTD News. Now to France, as the presidential candidates battle it out during tonight's televised debate, one hot issue is wokeism and its rise in French culture. NTD's France correspondent David Vives talks to an author who studies the movement and says it's not an American import, that the roots of woke culture were planted much closer to home. Wokeism, or work culture, is being explored by both candidates in the battle for the French presidency. Nationalist candidate Marine Le Pen has said several times that she's against woke culture and that France should guard against American hysteria in public debate. Macron's government also addressed the issue. Minister of Education Jean-Michel Blanquet launched an anti-woke think tank in October to quell its spread in French schools. But woke theories unfold in a different way in France than in the United States. Evelyn Josselin is a French author who writes about U.S. policy. She says the roots of the woke movement began in Europe. I believe wokeism is the triumph of the communist theory of Italian Antonio Gramsci. During the 30s, he thought that the only way to make communism succeed was to destroy Western civilization. And the best way to do that was not by seizing power over economic production, but instead taking control of cultural production. Jocelyn says French intellectuals and politicians from both sides of the political spectrum adopted inclusive theories and social justice ideas in the 60s. It is not just in the United States. There are shocking aspects in the U.S., but in France, during the 60s, there were intellectuals who called for the destruction of the West. Then, from one movement to another, we came to the woke as we know it today. She says one theory derived from the woke movement is climate change, as this follows the pattern of struggle and victimization. In the U.S., there is a part of the population that came to the understanding they were being fooled with the current climate hysteria, that some of it is false science that doesn't work. This is not the case in France. Newspapers say climate change is third amongst French people's primary concern after the cost of living and their health. This has been a point of debate in the race for the presidency, with Macron calling Le Pen a climate septic. Le Pen denied the claim. No matter which of them wins the presidential election on the weekend, wokeism is an issue they will have to address. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Coming up, eight parks around the world are joining the list of UNESCO-designated global geoparks. They're recognized for their geological heritage. And we'll witness the birth of one of the world's most endangered seals. That and more on NTD News. United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, or UNESCO, has designated eight new global geoparks. The parks are in Finland, Sweden, Greece, Romania, Germany, Luxembourg and Brazil. Let's take a look. UNESCO just designated eight parks around the world as the latest global geoparks. There are 177 geoparks in 46 countries. UNESCO says they recognized the parks for their geological heritage of international significance. 
basically with that one and same uh, endeavor just to celebrate their unique um, geological heritage as we call it their unique landscapes the geological unique sites that they are living on to celebrate this and to see how they can make an income out of this as well and, and very often this is uh, through uh, geotourism uh, and, and local entrepreneurship. One of the new geoparks is in the south of Finland. It's distinct for its stunning lakes and forests. You may have heard about the biosphere reserves or the world heritage, but the geological heritage was also was always something that was a little bit, um, how would I say it, was not well considered under these programs and has in the last years uh, gotten a lot of interest. One of the new geoparks is in Romania. It contains a wealth of fossils and some of the longest and deepest salt caves in the world. Another new geopark is in Sweden. It contains 15 flat-topped table mountains and Sweden's first known stone church, which was built by Vikings in the early 11th century. UNESCO says the designation process is an extensive one. Parks have to meet all the different criteria and there are very clear statues and guidelines. These sites uh, have now been, the eight ones that you've referred to, they have been recognized for a period of four years. But every four years it will have to go through a similar process just to make sure that they keep up with the, uh, with the standards. Two parks in Brazil also got the Geopark designation. One of them is known for its vibrant and verdant forests and canyons. It also has one of the world's richest ecosystems. The birth of one of the world's most endangered seals was caught on camera. NTD's Chenny Wu brings us the adorable footage. Look at that pup. The baby Hawaiian monk seal was born on the white sands last week. The Hawaiian monk seal is one of the most endangered seal species in the world. There are only about 1,400 left. The pup, named P05, was one of two baby seals born on Oahu last week. Officials and volunteers will actively monitor the moms and their pups over the next five to six weeks. Three other pups born on Oahu this year died of undetermined causes. Experts say it's important for people to stay outside roped barriers set up to safeguard the mothers and their pups. People also need to keep dogs leashed at all times. Chenny Wu, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.